Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. You know, today I have a really interesting topic, and one that's maybe a little bit out of the norm for this podcast, and that is art. Or more specifically, how do art and the world of work go together? If you're an artist, is that a conflict with working in a conventional environment? And if you're running an organization, is it good or bad to have artistic people working for you? The knee-jerk reaction, of course, is to say, yes, we need people with creative minds. We embrace all kinds of skills. You know, the reality tends to be a little bit different. In many organizations, we tend to overlook the skills that people bring to the table, and that includes artistic skills. And that does not end up benefiting anyone. So in this episode, I really got the, the opportunity to talk about all of this. My guest today is Sarah Wooster, and we really explored the ways that both organizations and workers can utilize what artists bring with them in terms of skills. Now, Sarah's day job is as, as a communication strategist, uh, but she's very much an artist. She paints, gives classes, has illustrated children's books. She's also the author of a book that's going to be published in July 2022. It's called Painting Can Save Your Life. And I'm really looking forward to reading that. I had a great conversation with Sarah. She talked about what she thought artists could do for organizations, how organizations can support artists and get the best out of them. And we also talked about why indulging your creative side is so important and why that can make you stronger for the other parts of your life. It was a really fascinating conversation, uh, one of the most interesting ones I've had. So please stay with us to hear it. creative skills well in the workplace. My guest today is Sarah Wooster. She's the author of the forthcoming book, How Painting Can Save Your Life. And she argues that it would be mutually beneficial if organizations supported artists and got the most out of them. She joins me now. Hi, Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here. I mean, I always ask my guests about their background, but in this case, I think it really is relevant. You are uh, probably non-traditional for this podcast. You have a day job and you're an artist, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went to school originally for painting, so I've been painting for many years, and then I returned to school for creative writing, and um, that led me into a communications career. Um, which allowed me to kind of segue into innovation and, and working with teams to be more creative and, and finding better creative solutions. So that's kind of how I wound up here. I mean, is this a choice to have multiple jobs to be an artist and do other things? Or is this sort of a survival thing? Because it's interesting. Now we're seeing a lot more of this in general, people doing multiple things. It's survival. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I wish I could and I have friends that do just solely survive on their art. And it gets it's getting harder and harder, obviously, because it's it's America is not the the easiest place to be an artist. There are other countries that subsidize art, have more, you know, more funding. It's just uh, um, most people I know either on a certain point in their career where they're, you know, you know, systematically selling and they can live on that and they know they can, they have a partner who has who has a more traditional job, you know, or they have like a trust fund or some magic source of money. I am married to another creative. So we, um, yeah, I, I'm, I, and I actually like working. I like, I like having a job. I like, you know, impacting 
organizations in certain ways. So, but if I had my choice, yeah, I would be painting all day long, writing all day long, but that's, that's, I'm okay with my current reality. All right. So it's the reality for a lot of people, right? They may have an art background or music background or some kind of creative background where it's not their first choice to be working in a tech company or in advertising or whatever, but they're there. So as a group, what do you think they're bringing there? Oh, I think I, I, it almost makes me sad to think about what they what they could be bringing versus what they are bringing. Um, it, I've worked at some great organizations where um, they they everyone is aware of what's outside skills or what previous skills people are bringing in that maybe are not aligned with their job title, and they're able to tap into that. Like you know, they know that someone is making films on the side. And so they ask them, you know, they bring them in on more creative projects, but I'm afraid there's even more times when that is either a secretive part of someone's life. It's not thought of as, as a valuable tool. Um, I mean, we hear over and over about, you know, these famous studies about the, there's a creativity crisis that, you know, that I think it's a Torrance score that every year, you know, we've been going down on that. Like it, it tests creativity. And it's really terrifying as a country that relies on innovation, as a world that relies on innovation, to know that in America, at least, the creativity figures are going down. Um, And so I think like when you have an artist in house and they're not being brought into teams in, in the way that they're creative problem solving, I think that's a real loss. I think any company that is doing that. And I, yeah, I mean, ad agencies, which I, I, in my past was a, was an art producer, was a photo producer. So I worked in many agencies. They're, they're set up a little bit better because you have an entire department that is aligned with creativity. You know, like there's, there's, there's the idea that you can be a artist and come in here and make a living and, and work in that thing. But if you think about it, I, I specifically was drawn to write the piece in um, Fast Company when I read this figure that we have 3,000 days to half our emissions. And I thought, how are we going to do that? Like, I mean, it, to me, it's like if we aren't having artists working with scientists on that, I don't know how it's going to scale because I think what artists do so well is creative problem solve and, and creative the creative solutions and creative new pathways and and new ways of working. So I think, um, yeah, I think anywhere that an artist is being brought in to, to be a part of a team that's solving a problem, that's the best case scenario. The worst case is where they're quietly doing their, their tasks that are listed, that were listed on their, you know, their job application or their, you know, and nothing else. I think that's just a waste of talent. Okay, so how do you solve this? Because I've heard managers, I think of somebody very hyped in finance who said, look, we hire all kinds of backgrounds. We hire people who graduated in music. We want lots of different thought processes here. But, you know, I, I think they probably do fail to tap into this. How do you do this? Because is it just the wrong metrics? Are we counting the wrong things? Well, that's interesting. Yeah, metrics is an interesting way to, like, are we viewing success at your job in the correct way? Like, maybe it is not, um, tasks completed, maybe it's ideas generated, you know, maybe we need to, from the get-go, look at, ask different questions on, on, you know, intake forms. Like maybe one part of your intake is you have to spill all the beans on your creative, you know, your creative superpowers so that when the time comes, you can be pulled in for the right thing. I, I personally think it's a lot to do with um, training, training people to think differently, setting it up to brainstorm constantly just as part of your, as part of your week is just brainstorming, because I think when that goes away, you're missing so many countless opportunities. And and I think also it's a, 
a leadership that is there to listen to creative ideas and then be champions for them. Because I know, I'm sure there are many people sitting in a in an organization or a business or a government um, thinking that they have a much better idea to do something. And, and if they're a creative artist, artist person, it might be a really interesting idea, but they're not gonna maybe vocalize it. So I think it's a lot about culture. It's about team building. Like you should embed an artist in every every major team. You know, you should have an artist going in for pitches. You should have an artist going in to look at your presentation deck. You should have an artist going in to look at human resources. How are you training people? How are you, what questions are you asking? How are you, you know, I come from a PR background. We do writing tests. Like are those the right kind of writing tests? Are we, are we looking for the right things and pulling the right things out of people? Interesting. You mentioned the Fast Company article you wrote, which is where I first saw your thoughts. I mean, you think companies should go after this? Absolutely. Like in a really positive way, say we want artists, we want these skills. And you think they should in some ways accommodate them. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. I think I think you can't. I think it's very hard for somebody who has a creative practice that they're really serious about to keep that practice going with 40 hours a week. I think it could be a trade-off. You know, we're living in a, in a world of gig economy. Maybe it's more freelance, bringing in more freelancer artists that actually just come in for a short period of time. Maybe they work half time so that they're still can, they can still have their creative practice and they don't kill the very thing that you're bringing them in to, to, you know, to bring value to your, to your organization. Um, yeah. I, I think that, that to me, I think, Anywhere you can you can enhance the creativity instead of squashing it, that's what you want to do because otherwise you might as well not bring the people in. Um, I I think I'm a big supporter. I think we need to look at um, new new HR practices, new compensations, um, new benefits. Like I mean, it was somebody at some point said we should be paying for a gym membership, and that was a brilliant idea because it impacts the health and and mental health of employees. But I feel the same way. I mean, I have so many friends who, who a part of their, the way they survived this pandemic was a ceramics practice or, uh, you know, not necessarily they wouldn't think of themselves as artists, but I do. And, and they are career, you know, career people in business, people in business, but they have these outside interests that fuel them and make them better at their job. And I think, um, compensating people for that, um, giving gifts that are related to, to creativity. I think there's, there's so many ways that we could be bringing in resources into companies. I write in there, like, I, I know like writing workshops are, have been a huge part of my life. And I, I'm not sure if you've ever taken one, but they're a really great um, community builder. And they're a really great way to make people really engage with the creative practice. That would be so easy to have a writing instructor come in for a lunchtime once a week and whoever wants to could participate. I mean, there's just endless, there's endless ways to support creativity that I, I think would be super interesting. And also in an era of talent, um, you know, uh, the talent wars, I think to, to make it clear that you value creativity and, and um, art, the artist practice in that way, in those ways is a huge selling point as a, as an, as an artistic person. Well, we're just starting to realize some of this. I mean, I think just before the pandemic, I started reading about how galleries and artistic endeavors or just going to concerts or whatever is good for mental health, that mm-hmm. people were starting to use it as therapy, per se. And it's interesting that you bring this in to the corporate context, that you think it's positive for for organizations to encourage this, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's 
first, I, I, I mean, that's why I call it, I call my book Pain Can Save Your Life because I really am a, a true believer in, in the power of making art to, to um, you know, make your mental health better. In fact, when I, I volunteer with um, an organization called Friends of the Firefighters, which is, um, they work with the FDNY um, to provide mental health and wellness services. And they realized that they didn't have a creative service. They have Reiki, they have acupuncture, they have talk therapy, they have all these wonderful things, massage, but they didn't have a creative practice. And they realized that's, that's, a, that's one way of wellness for many people. And so they implemented a painting program. Um, I think it's probably incredibly underestimated, but I think if we started looking for like the cost is the same as a Peloton bike, you know, I mean, like that is for some people, that's the equivalent of staying sane when things are, are, um, are wild. And I think it's an added benefit of that creativity is fueled. And, you know, in the article, I talk about, there's a lot of business leaders and there's a lot of Nobel laureates who they might be a scientist, but they have the creative practice definitely fueled their success. You know, I talk about David Solomon from Goldman Sachs. He's a DJ, you know, I mean, there's no way that because he thinks um, creatively on his off hours that doesn't impact the way he views the world. You know, there was a study and, I, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the professor. It's a professor in Norway did a, a study of um, tracking the eye movement of artists when they look at a drawing versus non-artists. The non-artists look, say it's a painting of, of a house, you know, on a hill. The artist looks at the entire, they can track their eyes and looking throughout. It's just an entirely different way of seeing. So when you're building up those, those skills and that way of thinking, then you're going to approach everything like that. You are going to see flaws in an operational system that someone else might not see. You're going to see a missing link in a team. You're going to see something in a presentation. And so, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a feedback loop, right? Creativity is just, you got to feed it and then it'll, it'll come back out. I mean, it's interesting. So suppose you're somebody who doesn't even think of themselves as particularly creative. However, you're stressed and you're looking for an outlet and, you know, you're willing to try this. How do you go about this? Yeah, that's such a good question because it's so intimidating. It is. <laughs> it is. Intimidating. I think a group, uh, I am a huge, huge fan of group creative activities. So like where I live in Brooklyn, there's a ceramic center that is become this, you can't even get space in it. It's just, it's become... Um, such a welcoming part of uh, people feel comfortable making that first step. You're going to go in, you know, you've never done it, but there's a room full of people who haven't done it. It's a lot less effective. And I personally think to try something on your own, I think it's really hard to, to make that, you know, get over the curve, the learning curve by yourself. So I'm a big believer. There's a, almost every community has an art center. Um, I can't, you know, every um, across the country, they have art centers, they have, um, you can sign up for online, like in New York, we have like the Gotham Writers Workshop. You can sign up for an online, if that's more convenient, you can go in person. A lot of Ys have writing groups, um, knitting circles at, you know, yarn and fabric stores, quilting. I highly recommend doing it as part of an in-person or online class, just because I think it's really hard to do by yourself. And then, um, you know, and then I think it's a confidence game too, right? Like, other people that you're with, you see, they're also learning. They're also kind of struggling. They're also maybe not making the best stuff at first. And then together you collectively tend to improve and then you get your confidence. I'm sure the argument you'd hear back though is I don't have time for this. Not a good argument, right? 
not, it's not, it's a terrible, <laughs> but I do think too, that's another place. I feel like if you are an organization and you want to make room for artists, maybe you allow a little bit of time for that practice. Maybe you find a way to give a few hours each week. If someone's, if it's important to someone to, to, you know, sneak out, you know, for, I know, I mean, I'm sure you do, you work places where people sneak out, not sneak out, but they go out through lunchtime to go to the gym or, you know, run into a Pilates class or something. I think that same spirit of like making time for it in the week is important. Like, you know, let your team know this is cool. If you're doing these, we support these, we value this. If you need to, to, you know, not do meetings on Thursday evening after four, because that's when your writer's group is, that's great. We're going to support that, you know, just as you would support other wellness initiatives like talk therapy. Interesting, Sarah. Uh, we'll have to see how it comes together because we are getting to a point where we will have more of a gig economy. You mentioned this earlier. Um, maybe people will make time in their lives for this or, or maybe they'll be more stressed and they won't. Hopefully it'll go the right way, right? I hope uh, so. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Anyway, thank you so much for talking to me about it. Yeah, thanks, Linda. It was so nice to talk to you. Sarah Worcester is author of the forthcoming book, Painting Can Save Your Life. Well, that's it for today. If you want to know more about Sarah and her work, please check out our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at, at @relentlesseco. Now, if you did like this conversation about work, the future of work, you know, the many facets of work, please take a moment, subscribe to this podcast, and please leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. That's how people find these podcasts, and that will really help us keep these conversations going. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at the workandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.